0: Hello. This is Victoria your producer. You have discovered the 542 and the Blue podcast. Hosted by Scott Lunsford, retired police detective, sergeant, author and researcher. A podcast discussion of law enforcement history. Issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and beyond. Today's Shade of Blue story deals with child neglect issues and cases. A sad topic but one that can impact an entire community. Background music, hard-boiled, by Kevin MacLeod. Licenseed through Purple Planet. Scott, you're online.
1: Thank you, Victoria, for starting us out. Today's Shade of Blue, as Victoria said, we're going to talk about something that's not very pleasant. A lot of times law enforcement, we have to be involved with situations that are very trying on the heart, the mind, and the soul. Probably the most demanding on the psyche of a law enforcement officer would be the death of a child. The death of a child is is a terrible thing. Uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower said, there's no tragedy in life like the death of a child. Things never get back, to the way they were. And that's very true. According to the CDC in 2017 report, according to the CDC in a 2017 report, there are several reported causes for the death of children. The first for children between the age of one and four are accidents, unintentional injuries. The second is health situations that could cause a child to pass. The third for ages of one through four, unfortunately, is homicide. And we are seeing in the media more and more children that are dying through violent means than we've had before previously. This same report from 2017 Also talks about children between the ages of 5 and 14. Once again, the number one cause, accidents. The number two cause that year was cancer or illness. The third, intentional self-harm or suicide. Very unfortunate. And of course, the fourth being assaults or homicides again. Today's Shade of Blue goes back 26 years to November, 1994. A 15 year old runaway, Miranda Kathleen Brown had left a group home. Now there's nothing super unusual about that in itself. 15 year old girls have been running away from home since the time of Gilgamesh. What makes this Shade of Blue story different and tragic is a combination of several events in several circumstances. Now, Miranda Brown, in 1994, was a ward of the Buncombe County, North Carolina Department of Social Services. She had run away from a group home for children in East Asheville, North Carolina, three weeks prior to the incident we're discussing. Warrants that were filed in 1994 in court records show that Miranda's mother, Juanita Brown, had been charged with a misdemeanor child abuse in Buncombe County situation. The charge had been filed in September of that year. According to an interview that was done by Juanita Brown with a newspaper reporter, she stated the charge was filed after Miranda Brown and the girl's sister had gotten into a physical altercation and physical fight. The warrant states, Juanita Brown's arrest alleged to the fact that she had allowed and encouraged the older sister to, quote, beat the hell, unquote, out of her sister. That was actually what was spelled out on the warrant. Now, this may have been why Miranda Brown was in the custody of the Department of Social Services. Of course, juvenile records and social service reports are sealed. This would be the case in any situation involving minors. The DSS director, uh, Mr. Underwood at the time, cited the state juvenile confidentiality laws when he was asked for more information by the media sources at the time. The juvenile home from which Miranda Brown had run away from was not a secure facility. The location was simply a, a group home and could be left by simply walking away, walking out the door. Secure facilities for juveniles at that time and still today are for juveniles that may be a danger to themselves or others in the community. Or cases where juveniles are awaiting trial on serious felonies and they might not be able to be relocated before the trial. Now, in a non-secure facility, juveniles can be kept for about 10 days as approved by a judicial official, magistrate, or a judge. Open court records do show Brown had left similar homes on three other occasions since 1993. The mother, in her interview with the press, declined to say while Miranda had been placed into custody in 1993. She would only provide the information that her daughter was there was a good student who ran away from the group home because she was being mistreated there. The last time Miranda ran away from a group shelter, the shelter itself had contacted the Department of Social Services, which they were required to do. As Department of Social Services had legal custody of Miranda. The officials with Department of Social Services filed a petition, which is a document requesting the court to take action in the case involving a juvenile. In this situation, it was a runaway petition. This was filed with the county's magistrate's office in Buncombe County on November 6th. The petition, which was standard procedure when a child runs away, The order gives police officers and sheriff's deputies the authority to take the child into custody if they locate the child. The newspaper, the Asheville Citizen Times, conducted their own investigation of DSS's handling of the Brown case. And they found that the social workers had failed to file a missing person report on Brown after she had run away from the group home. And if that is the case, then law enforcement didn't know to actively investigate the missing person case of Miranda. And if she was taken into custody by law enforcement, it would have just been by chance when they had come across her and taken her into custody for whatever reason. The investigation by The newspaper also showed that the social workers had failed to contact a Lester family with whom Miranda had stayed with in the past with their knowledge. And Brown had been at that location at some point and they had the information on where she would have been this time, apparently. Now on the night in question in November 1994, in a small rental house behind an old grocery store on Bavard Road in Asheville. The life of Miranda Brown of Woodfin and Yancey County ended tragically. Brown had attended a small party at this location with several other young people. Six people had gathered at the home and most had been drinking before the incident. Brown went into the bedroom with the others along with a young man, 22 years of age, a Mark Anderson, along with the others that were at the home. A shotgun was removed from a wall rack. Witnesses told police the barrel was placed into Brown's mouth, possibly by the victim herself. The police report said Anderson held the stock end of the gun. He told police it discharged accidentally. The police report that has not been redacted indicated that several of the witnesses stated that the gun had discharged by accident. That it went off while the end of the barrel was in the teenager's mouth, killing her instantly. Police documented that Brown died at 1241 a.m on a Saturday during the party after the barrel of the 12-gauge shotgun was placed in her mouth, either by her or by another person. Of the five male individuals at the party, only Mark Anderson was identified and admitted he was the one holding the stock of the shotgun when it went off. Witnesses insisted that Miranda had placed the gun in her mouth herself. Anderson called police about 20 minutes after the incident had occurred. After the investigation and the gathering of evidence Anderson was charged with second-degree murder. He was placed originally on no bond and after his first appearance in court was dropped to a hundred thousand dollar secured bond. Juanita Brown has always disputed the account of the accident or the incident. She said her daughter had been assaulted by the men at the party. The senior detective for the investigation with the Asheville Police Department has said it was all senseless. There were no harsh words and no arguments. They were all pretty happy and having a good time before the shotgun went off. Now the victim's mother was later charged with making harassing calls in relationship to her daughter's death to a family in West Asheville. Miss Brown was also very outspoken on the issue of her daughter's death, which is understandable. Those charges for harassing phone calls were later dropped. In June of 1995, Anderson pled guilty in Brown's shooting death. He received, a, he received a sentence of between four and five years in prison, seven months after the death of the 15 year old. He accepted a guilty plea of voluntary manslaughter in Buncombe County Superior Court. He had originally, like I said, been charged with second degree murder, and he was sentenced by Judge Dennis Winter a very good judge, and I've testified before him several times myself. Prosecutors did not pursue the case of second degree murder. According to one of the district assistant district attorneys, he states that the DA's office felt this was the appropriate disposition of the case. Unlike second degree murder, voluntary manslaughter does not include malice. Malice would have been very difficult to prove in court based on the information and the statements the witnesses made. So full autopsy was completed by the state and attended by the Asheville investigators. There was no sign of other injuries or defensive wounds on the victim. The Toxicology screens were negative, no drugs, no alcohol in her system. A public defender for Mr. Anderson said that the whole situation was quote a horrible accident. Now Brown also pled guilty to an unrelated charge of driving while license revoked and was given time served on that situation at the same time. Understandably Juanita Brown, Miranda's mother, was not pleased with the plea. Miss Brown said she thought Anderson deserved quote the same thing he gave my daughter, the death sentence, unquote. Now, counting homicides that year, at the time of Miranda's death, her death was the 12th homicide in Asheville at the time. There had only been eight or nine for the same time period the previous year. And of course, that is not the end of the situation. In 1995, December, Miranda's estate sued for damages for her death the suit was filed against the Buncombe County Department of Social Services Mr. Anderson and the group home itself the suit claimed the Department of Social Services the caseworkers and employees of the group home did not do enough to keep Brown from running away from the home about three weeks before her death, and did not look hard enough for her after she was gone. Now, a state review of the handling of the case by Department of Social Services was declared to be adequate, but it did suggest certain changes to be made in the social services procedures, and these procedures went into effect. About this time is when I started my career as a juvenile and sexual assault investigator with the Asheville Police Department after the incident had occurred. There were protocols that were set up to keep such situations and juveniles falling through the cracks. Something as simple as a three-way check and balance system was set up that had a regular review between law enforcement, the district attorney's office, and the caseworkers that were assigned to investigate for Department of Social Services. And this way we were hopefully able to keep children from being missed, needed the assistance and the help. Now Miranda's estate's lawsuit was asking for $50 million. It was actually from my understanding dismissed. I cannot find any records as the case was filed in federal court. I haven't been able to locate an outcome at this time, but that's not unusual due to the fact that the case involved juvenile information. Now, do these situations end with Miranda's death? Was Miranda's death a wake-up call that would keep other children from being injured or or harmed or even killed? Well, we would like to think so. Recently though I came across an article in the local newspaper Department of Social Services official acknowledges problems after nine-year-old found in hotel room with 150 used hypodermic needles. This article by Joel Burgess, who's a very good writer, starts out, A Buncombe County Department of Social Services official acknowledged mistakes in how the department responded to law enforcement child calls, and that the staffer had told police a nine-year-old girl could stay in a hotel room along with 150 used hypodermic needles with a man the girl barely knew but was a friend of her father's apparently the father had been arrested in black mountain and with the child with him he was taken to jail but you still have the child the department of social services was notified and they authorized the leaving of the child with this gentleman in the hotel room with the used syringes. Now state law in North Carolina allows law enforcement officers to do emergency custody for 24 hours, or 48 hours if it is a, a holiday, when we can articulate as law enforcement that a child is in danger or need of services which apparently this child was, most definitely. This particular incident changed more protocols and policies and procedures of law enforcement and social services, getting everyone to work together on the situation. It did involve North Carolina State Senator Chuck Edwards to get involved. After the information was brought to his attention by the Chief of Police for Black Mountain, Black Mountain Police Chief Freeman said there had been a similar problem April 17th of this year when DSS took nine hours to come take two children whose one parent had passed away and they could not locate the other. Caring for children is very difficult for a police staff that can number less than four people on some nights. In the hypodermic needle incident, According to the chief, the DSS worker had declined to come to the scene and told the officers to leave the girl in the hotel room with the syringes either by herself or with the man she had just met through her father who had been arrested. That's a lot of liability. And luckily the law enforcement officers did not. They they took the child with them, kept her until they could make other arrangements, which they did by contacting family members out of state who responded before the time period was up that law enforcement officers could legally keep a child in custody. There had been other issues in lawsuits in the Appalachian Mountains involving situations similar. In 2017, Haywood County, North Carolina Department of Social Services was sued after plaintiffs had reported that social workers had taken actions against their children that amounted to battery. I was unable to locate the outcome of this case, again, because due to the law for forbidding DSF information and children information disclosure, it was sealed. Another sad shade of blue story, very recently, this time from the state of Georgia. I recently came across in several media sources. If you're curious about it, you can probably do a web search and find uh, information on this particular incident. It is totally sad, totally bizarre. In this particular case that I came across last week, two Georgia parents were charged in the death of their daughter who had suffered from a life infestation so severe that it had triggered a fatal heart attack. Now, this was according to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Mary Kathleen Horton, 37 years of age, and her significant other, Joey Jovac, 38 years of age, each faced charges of second degree murder in the death of 12-year-old Caitlin, who was found unresponsive and left at home. The Watkins County, Georgia Superior Court Judge, a Brenda Tarnell, ruled this past week there was enough evidence in the matter for the murder charges to go forward to a grand jury. The couple was also charged with secondary cruelty to a child and abuse. There are some bad things that happen to children. And it is our responsibility as adults and civilized individuals to step up when we see something that we believe is wrong. And if it's not wrong and you report it anyway, there is not a problem, you're erred on the side of caution. Unfortunately, these shade of blue stories are difficult to listen to but they are a reality, and we need to be aware that they exist. I bring them out in this week's Shade of Blue in the hope that we can be educated on some level. Children are our future. If the future is not protected, then there's not going to be one. Now, if you're curious about more information, there are a ton of very valid websites out there that deal with the issue of child abuse and missing children. I would recommend the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's website for more information not only on missing children but on internet abuse of children and the problems that young people deal with on bullying issues. Unfortunately again these are the realities of today. Now, if you would like more information about my books or this Shade of Blue Story, you can go to 542andtheblue.com or go to scottlunsfordauthor.com. Both places you can find out more information on my books and the podcasts and what is to come as far as what we're putting together for you guys. In the meantime, In the coming weeks, remember, everybody try to be safe and be secure. And if the opportunity arises, remember, do something nice for somebody. It'll make you feel good. Definitely make somebody else feel good. And probably make a positive impact somewhere else in the world as well. Victoria, go ahead and shut us down. You have the control board again. I'm switching it over. And everybody out there, have a good week. We'll see you next Saturday on 542 in the Blue. Bye, y'all.
0: 1, 2, you have been listening to 542 in the Blue, hosted by Scott Lunsford. For more information on the podcast or Scott's books and writings, go to scottlunsfordauthor.com or 542intheblue.com. Scott can also be reached through the web pages. This is Victoria your producer. 2. 1. End. Thomas J. The door is closed when it snows. Page 183. Page 92. Page 106. Page 72. Page 7.